Welcome to your personal branding podcast with Bernard Kelvin Clive, your number one career and business podcast in Ghana, bringing you expert interviews and insights into personal branding, personal development, and publishing. Now, here's your host, Bernard Kelvin Clive. Welcome to another exciting edition of your personal branding podcast. And it's cool today to have Jonathan David Lewis as my special guest, a thought leader and a brand expert. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. As a pleasure, I treasure. Jonathan, let's, let's get started with who Jonathan is. I know you're all what is the, the, the space of the internet, um, what you can think of. But maybe to the first time, who is Jonathan David Lewis? Who is Jonathan David Lewis? <laughs> I, I'm not sure I know. Um, no, no, um, I'm, I'm a branding expert. I've been um, uh, writing for Forbes. I have a column on Forbes, and I just published a book, Brand vs. Wild, which came out a little over a month ago. Um, I also own a marketing firm called McKee Walwork & Company that specializes in turning around stalled, stuck, and stale brands. So I've, I've really um, built up and been made and molded uh, through the Great Recession, and that's really where my, my career took off, and that's probably had the biggest mark on my career, as as all of us remember, um, kind of the hardship of that time, and, um, you know, here in the States, how our budgets were just, you know, cut in half or eliminated entirely, and the expectations went up, and the, the, the budgets went down, um, so we really had to be creative, you know, we had to think differently and, and approach this new economy, this new world, um, different than we did in the past, and that's really kind of what my career and, and my book is all about. Yeah, so we uh, may act so that it means that the harsh conditions of the system uh, compelled you or compelled people to think more creatively in the area of doing business. Absolutely, yeah. And, in, you know, uh, that's probably a story we've all heard before, you know, the necessity is the mother of invention, and... And it really was, I mean, even kind of the roots of our own research that led to the book. So we've, we've conducted two national studies that really look at, in America, that really look at the, the factors that affect growth. And the reason we even did that in the first place was we, a little over a, uh, 10 years ago, we actually made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies list. And as soon as we made the list, you know, we thought we made it. Okay, here we are. Nobody can stop us now. Um, but as soon as we made the list, our own growth stalled. We stopped growing. And over the next two to three years, we had about 98% turnover, which was just deadly for a professional services firm. So we didn't know what to do. We didn't understand what was wrong, why we had been growing so fast, doing so well. Why did that all evaporate? And because we had access to this, this list of other Inc. 500 winners, we actually had this amazing opportunity to go back over the last 20 years at that mm. time and survey all of these high-growth companies who some of them had continued to grow. Others had faced headwinds and gone backwards. And we wanted to understand why. Why are some growing and finding a way to continually grow? Why are others facing these, these difficulties and not overcoming them? And that was really the beginnings. So in our own harsh environment, in our own wilderness – um, that that was the seed of what grew into 
multiple books, two national studies, and then ultimately my new book, Brand vs. Wild, which just came out. Well, so, Jonathan, the story of your company yourself and how you were to go up in that, uh, someone listening to us right now, going through a, a difficult, harsh economic financial situation and mm-hmm. in the area of his business, how does he begin to think more creatively to help enhance or give his brand more visibility? What, what are some of the things that you did or he or she can do now? You know, it really starts with understanding yourself and how you will react to this harsh environment, to to difficult, unexpected challenges in business. And one of the really interesting, fascinating things that led to the book is our own business research is highly correlated with the latest in survival psychology. And so when you look at survival psychology, these this is really, you know, the study of how the human mind works in extreme scenarios, often in the wilderness. And one of the, the most revealing pieces of, of uh, work that I found was this theory called the 10-80-10 theory, developed by Dr. John Leach. And Dr. John Leach is really um, at the forefront of survival psychology. He says that in any harsh circumstance, in any unexpected challenge, we all tend to react in one of three ways. So 10% of us react rationally. We're prepared. So we actually can deal with it well and maybe even lead others. 80% of us are paralyzed by that unexpected challenge. And then another 10% of us panic. We make things worse. So the first step before you can even start to be creative is you need to understand yourself. Where do you fall in that 10-80-10 theory? Are you part of that bottom 90%? that is not prepared for a challenge, that is in the wrong mindset, and not only will you be paralyzed, but might make things worse, because how can you be creative when you're afraid, right? So knowing yourself is the first step. The next thing uh, that we, we all have to do, and any survivalist will tell you this, is when you're lost, if you're lost in the forest, you have to stop. Mm. And it sounds really simple, and it's even an acronym, you know, Boy Scouts or any survivalist will tell you. It's stop, think, observe, plan. But it sounds so simple, but when you're in the moment, when you're facing a disruption or an unexpected challenge in your company, the last thing you want to do is stop. Yeah. Your blood's pumping, your <laughs> adrenaline's going. The only thing you want to do is you want to take some action. You want to overcome this. You want to do something, do something, do something. When in reality... You need to stop because this really is the first act of courage. As you're overwhelmed by fear, it's not about getting rid of fear. It's about being able to, to make decisions despite fear. Mm. So stopping is your first act of courage. And when you stop, in a physiological sense, that's when you allow your brain to move function, primary function, um, back from your illogical mind, which takes over when you're afraid, back towards your logical part of your brain, which allows you to make rational, better decisions. So you stop. And once you stop, that then equips you for all kinds of good decisions because the next thing you do is you, then you look up. Mm-hmm. You observe. You, you And in a business sense, certainly this is taking a pulse on the marketplace. What is actually going on out there? And this is one of the har- harder elements because the world is going crazy right now. And the, you know, our economies are kind of all over the place. Politics are in turmoil. All of these new technologies, artificial intelligence, robotics, automation, they're just making, you know, the pace of change is, is growing and increasing so much that it's hard to kind of get our arms around what's going on. So you stop and then 
you observe, you, you take in your surroundings. And really this is the secret sauce to observing is perspective. Mm. Because the, the thing you lose when you're afraid, and often this happens in companies, we, we, it's so often, it's so easy to lose perspective. We are so focused on surviving that day or, or doing our job that we forget to ask the question, you know, what does the marketplace need right now? What is the marketplace uh, upset about? What are they, you know, what are they needing? And when you're able to step back and get some perspective, that's when you can find value and relevance once more as opposed to kind of beating your head against the wall and just trying to do the same thing over and over and, and you're becoming more and more irrelevant while you're being disrupted. So with this said, let's look at then the position of the business. Uh, we're in a very disruptive world now in the area of social media and all kinds of media. Everybody's competing for little space. How then do an uh, organization, a brand, distinctively set him or himself apart from the other competition? You know, this is this is a good question because this is one of the most important questions. Uh, you know, focus is everything in business and mm. and uh, it's not just focus it's differentiated focus mm. and to the extent you're unfocused it, you know is to the extent you're lost in the wilderness and one of the interesting things we discovered when we found out that our business research was so highly correlated with survival psychology essentially what that means is that there's really very little difference between a group of people that crash land on a mountain or are lost in the in the desert or are trying to traverse Antarctica, very little difference psychologically between them and you and I when we're sitting in a boardroom trying to overcome some sort of business challenge. We go through the same predictable response to disruption. And the way it goes is first you're you're pushed into the wilderness. So some event occurs, the economy you know goes into a recession or a competitor comes along or you're disrupted. So then you're in the wilderness. The first thing you do is you are you and your organization are overcome by fear. And this causes all kinds of issues internally. But once you're afraid, you begin to drift and that's when you lose your focus as a company. You try to be all things to all people. And as we know, that that uh, means you're nothing to no one. As soon as you're being all things to all people, that's when you become very erratic. And the, the wild, this sort of, you know, overwhelming, chaotic nature of things today, the wild actually turns us wild. It makes us very inconsistent, and we look for silver bullet solutions. And then ultimately, we can turn very savage. This is the fourth step. We turn savage. We turn on each other, and we, we lose our internal alignment. We're not on the same page anymore, so we're, there's infighting turf wars, politics, etc. So if you think about one of what, are, what is one of the most important elements to overcoming this, it is focus, as you mentioned. And because focus gives you confidence, which gives you courage to overcome that fear. Focus forces, if you really have focus, that means you're saying no to most things and yes to a very narrow set of things. Mm which means you're not being inconsistent. And if you're confident, that, then your team usually can align themselves around focus. So this is the trick to focus. It's, it's dangerously simple. <laughs> dangerously simple, okay? The first thing you have to ask is, what am I really, really good at doing? What am I really, really good at? You know, what is my thing? 
it doesn't matter what company you you are, what your profession is. What is my thing? What am I really, really good at doing? Then you have to ask the next question. What does the market need? What does my target need? Then the final question. This is the money question. Where do those two things overlap? Because where you're, what you're really good at doing and what the market needs, where those two things inter- overlap, that's where you find relevance. And that's where you can focus. So it's, it's dangerously simple, but that's what it takes. What do you uh, what, uh, damn good at uh, what the market needs in the intersection of what are you good at and what the market needs bring the relevance and that's your point of differentiation. Absolutely. And that's why you have to keep asking the question because the market shifts. Hmm. And really what you're, how you define what you're good at doesn't have to be, you know, I'm really good at, at uh, creating this widget. It needs to be a little bit uh, more resilient than that. So, for instance, Lego when they were in so much trouble in the early 2000s, where they, Lego almost went out of business. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that because today they're second, the first or second largest toy maker in the world. They were almost out of business just 10, 15 years ago. Well, what, what they came to is they, it's not so much that they, they're just really, really good at creating these toys, is that really at their core, they are, exist to help kids learn how to creatively problem solve. And this allowed them, they do that through creating these great toys that do that. But that's also can be resilient. That can change a little bit over time. What they needed to do is, is make sure that the way they help kids creatively problem solve remains relevant to their target. What is the, what do kids need mm-hmm. over time? And that's why you have to constantly be keeping a pulse on the marketplace and asking yourself, where do those two things overlap? All right. I can say that if you don't stay relevant, you'll be relegated. Absolutely. Great. So, from your book, uh, Brand vs. World, like uh, the world is like world in its world place. We need some survival instinct to survive. So, now walk us through some of the general lies, anyway, some of the survival strategies or tips for to help brand, especially SMEs, to be able to survive in this wilderness. Definitely. <clears throat> well, there's a few things. I mean, I think it's really important to realize that the the new principles required for success are very different than the old principles required for success. And if you look over the last several decades or even longer, you know, there's a variety of things that we all sort of just learn in school and and take for granted, learn in our careers. These are the things that make us successful. So size, longevity, uh, scale, intellectual property, the things that we assume make us successful. When today... Those very same things could actually be your greatest vulnerability. So if you've been in business for 50 years, that usually means, you know, you previously you would have thought, oh, well, I have better connections. I know my industry better. Well, today that means that you probably are arrogant. You think you know what's going on with the marketplace, but you also probably think whatever made you successful will continue to make you successful when that is not true anymore. And so you, you kind of, you, your own success can be your downfall. And size itself and scale can actually make you slow and you can't, you're not nimble, you're not able to pivot. So these old conceptions of success just aren't as relevant, aren't as, they don't give you the advantage that they used to give you. So we have to refocus on these new uh, principles for success. One of which is flexibility now beats efficiency. So where previously we've been hyper focused on efficiency, 
But you know who else was focused on efficiency? The taxi industry. <laughs> and if you think about the, t- you know, they want to lower overhead, make take better care of all their uh, cars, you know, keep their cost of labor down. They were obsessed with efficiency. Well, guess what? Somebody who was more focused on flexibility came along and made them irrelevant. So flexibility now beats efficiency. And one, one way I've heard this described that was just, I think, hit it right on the head was Dave Gray wrote a great book called The Connected Company. And he described most companies today treat themselves like they're, they're trains on a train track. Right, And so they're all about efficiency. Let's move stuff as quickly and cheaply and as much of this stuff as possible from here to there. But he asked the question, what happens when a disruption comes along or an unexpected challenge, like a maybe a mudslide? Well, Mm -hmm. what do we do? We convene the whole team into a boardroom. You know, you put together a committee, and everybody talks about, okay, what do we do with the train tracks? Do we build a bridge over this mudslide? Do we go around it? Maybe we need a tunnel under the mudslide. When fundamentally, you're not asking the right question. Perhaps the company needs to get off of the train tracks. Mm. The problem isn't the mudslide. The problem is your company is far too focused on efficiency. So maybe you need to become a drone company or, Mm. you know, 18-wheelers or even digital. Get off the train tracks. And I think that's a, a good uh, a good example of how the last 50 years we've been hyper-focused on things like efficiency when the future really belongs to those that understand that concepts like flexibility are going to make us more successful. Yeah, amazing. So it's, 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 it's fitting that in the system where now Uber almost control almost some um, let's say 80% of the taxi business now. Software apps are now taking over a lot of apps. Systemized things, or let me put it so, traditional means of doing things. Right, and I was having this conversation recently with a coworker where, if you really look at at where an industry is in its life cycle, the industries that are the more commoditized they are, more likely are focused on efficiency. So, if you're if you're in an industry that really all you're doing is looking for tiny incremental efficiency, you're probably more commoditized than others, which means you're far more vulnerable to disruption than others. If you look at industries that are less commoditized, where it's really about value, they usually are focused on flexibility. There's far less, you know, the market hasn't settled down into this this status quo where you're making marginal increases and improvements. So if you look at yourself and look at your own industry and ask the question, you know, what is the what is the topic today in our industry? What is the zeitgeist in our industry today? Are, is every article I read about some incremental change or, or how to be more efficient and save money, you're probably in a highly commoditized industry. So what, what are the uh, surviving strategies from brand versus wild that we business need to really implement to help their businesses? Definitely. Well, I think another thing to realize is that when we're in the wilderness as a, as a as literally as a person in the wilderness or as a company, a company in the brand wilderness or, you know, we tend to walk in circles. And this is one of those, those interesting um, pieces of research we found where we all have seen the movies and, and sort of had that assumption that if you're in the middle of the, of the desert, you know, we all wonder, well, would you really walk in circles? Is that something that really happens? Well, a researcher decided to go test this. So they, they got a groups of people, they put 
uh, GPS on them, and they dropped them in the middle of the desert, and they dropped them in the middle of the forest, and they said, okay, go, and they tracked them with the GPS, and what they discovered was a portion of the people definitely walked in circles, and the key difference between those that walked in circles and those that didn't walk in circles were the ones that walked in circles didn't have their bearings, so it was overcast, and they couldn't see the sun, or they couldn't see a mountain in the distance, or it was nighttime and, and it was uh, the moon wasn't out. So if you don't have your bearings, mm. if you don't have something that, that kind of tells you where you are, um, that you can compare yourself to in relation, then you literally walk in circles. And it was it was pretty interesting that these weren't like giant several mile wide circles. They're pra- fairly small circles, <laughs> and we just. If we don't have our bearings, we don't understand, we, we don't even realize we're walking in circles. So mm. as a company, you know, ask yourself, are you walking in circles? And do you have your bearings? And I think one of the, uh, an example of this that, that is pretty powerful is when you think all the way back to when Steve Jobs returned to Apple and Apple was about to go out of business. They're looking at bankruptcy, trying to sell the, the company. And they, they got Steve Jobs to come back. And, of course, he famously turned the ship around and, and turned them into what they are today. But a lot of people look at that case study and they think, okay, Steve Jobs is just some brilliant genius. And, sure, he can do that, but I'm not Steve Jobs. When really what one of the key things that made him so successful, that even made what he did possible, wasn't that he was just some genius. It was that he wasn't in Apple for many years. And what, what that means is he had perspective. He had his bearings where even the competition, Microsoft and others, you know, they, they didn't, they were so focused on the status quo, on protecting their, the marketplace and their partnerships. They didn't even understand what he was doing. So when he came back, it wasn't that he was just a genius. It was that he wasn't there to be sucked into sort of the insular inside thinking and lose his bearings. He saw the marketplace for what it was, for what it really was. He looked at the truth of the matter. He wasn't, didn't have his opinion tainted or colored by, you know, in, inside incentives inside the company. So the same thing can be true for us. If by, by virtue of you having a job, you are tainted by your industry and your company. And your incentives are often the opposite of what you need for your company to succeed. Because, you know, it's just human nature. We kind of lose ourselves inside of, inside of a company. We lose our perspective. Mm-hmm. So getting outside of yourself and, you know, in the, in the wilderness, if you're lost, climb a tree. You know, <laughs> climb a, a hill, climb a mountain. You need to have perspective. You need to be able to see where, where things are. Listen for a river. Look for moss growing on, on a certain side of the tree. In business... You can do similar things. There are anal- analogous things that you can do to get perspective. Certainly research, you know, hiring people outside your industry who can bring in professional uh, perspective, hiring from the outside, um, questioning your assumptions. These are vital things that we have to do to remain relevant and protect ourselves from, from uh, being disrupted. In, in, um, in the, the contribution, the answer you've given, you know, a typical example which might suddenly become very difficult for brands or, or branding companies, when they begin to look at it, they read the peak, the organization doesn't know what to do next. 
I find it difficult to hire a third party to bring a new, fresh perspective on the business. Therefore, the greenest stocks. Yeah, so certainly companies, when, they, when they've reached some level of success and they're looking maybe to refresh or maybe they're having a hard time, they're looking to refresh. Well, the first thing I'd say is you really need to be careful because according to our research, success is actually one of the key signs that you're about to fail because success itself um, breeds arrogance and uh, really enables the entire company to lose perspective. And that's why the bigger the company, Nike, Coca-Cola, Apple, the more susceptible they are to disruption. But there's a variety of things, and I think one of my favorite examples of this of how a company was was completely lost in the wilderness to really refresh themselves and found themselves again was is Marvel in the 90s, where Marvel was on top of the game. I mean, they were making uh, money hand over fist, and then the comic book craze, the comic book bubble, mm-hmm. bursted in the 90s, and they went through bankruptcy. I mean, they were just totally torn apart by by the burst of this bubble, and uh, part of the reason that they were struggling so much is they had lost themselves. They had forgotten what made them special. And so they they were really just going for a quick buck rather than focusing on creativity and quality and storytelling. They had kind of diminished the quality of their internal creative team who were doing the illustrations and writing the comic books. They were letting go kind of the senior creatives who were doing this great work. And they were just trying to make a quick buck. Well, after the bubble burst, they were trying to figure out what to do, and they were in a really precarious situation. They had they were very cash strapped, um, and and just really didn't they were they had their hands in all of these kind of failing business ventures. They were trying to own stores, trying to create CD-ROMs, all kinds of weird stuff. So what they did is first they refocused, and they kind of cut out all these bad ideas. They were going to open a Marvel-themed restaurant, and they were going to do all kinds of crazy stuff. So the CEO came in and said, okay, we're going to refocus on our comic books. That's our core of our business. And they cut all these other um, kind of silly, extraneous business ventures, and then they refocused on their core by rehiring the top talent in the industry who could create wonderful, wonderful comic books. Then they um, used the only real value they had left, which was this, they, they owned these kind of beloved comic book characters. And the first thing they, they did was they started to work, they developed these, you know, big blockbuster movies. And um, it was a big risk. I mean, nobody knew it was going to take off like it did. And so they actually had to, had to put up as collateral for their mm-hmm. very first movie. They had to put up a couple of their comic book characters as collateral. So if the, if the movie failed, they would lose ownership of these beloved characters. Pretty, pretty intense situation. Well, they were very successful. They created a few movies. And once they had learned how successful they can be and learned the business of movie making, they brought all of that in-house and they developed Marvel Studios. And that's where we begin to really see things taking off where they're just making, uh, you know, money hand over fist, creating this enormous franchises uh, and creating all these blockbusters. Well, we all know what happened. Disney came along and purchased them for $4 billion, and the rest is history. So so looking at what you can do, first of all, know that you you will face the, the brand wilderness. I mean, we every company goes through it. There's not a single company that doesn't. 
But once you're in it, you know, don't don't put your head down and fall in shame and, and you know, be afraid. It's really about rediscovering yourself and refocusing on, on your core value. And for Marvel, your core value was these comic book stories, which they refocused on, which then enabled them to tell even better stories through the movie industry. So that, that gives you hope that if somebody like Marvel, who re, we take it for granted because they're so mm-hmm. successful today, but they really almost disappeared. If they can do it, if Lego can do it, if all of these companies uh, can do it, then you can do it as well. It just requires you to understand how you're going to react to disruption, which there's a very predictable response, and then employ these different tactics around stopping, you know, getting your bearings, refocusing by asking those three questions, and then adapting by by really uh, following the new principles for success rather than these old principles. If you can understand how that process works and really employ it in your company, then you can stay relevant. You can adapt when others don't. Can adapt when others don't. Like Nokia refused to adapt and they couldn't survive. <laughs> right. Or Blackberry or yeah. Kodak. Blockbuster, you know, these these are they're pretty sad given these are some of the most successful companies in the history of the world, yet they disappeared. And it's incredible, but that's how quickly things can change today if you're not vigilant, if you're not careful, if you don't understand yourself. I think that the same principles that we mentioned also applies to individual brands as well, personal brands, that if you don't stay adaptable and adjust and unlearn and relearn, you will Certainly, we hit the rock bottom when the wilderness, I mean, when you hit the wilderness, you may be able to survive. But they are, they, I think we've seen some individual brands, like the personal brands who crushed it, and then after some season, you know, where to be found again. Right, and and it's, you see it on both sides. You know, you see companies who face hardship, and they just can't break themselves out of it, and that would be your blockbuster, your Kodak, who really, because of their success, became arrogant and sort of, just ignored these massive changes in their customer behavior. Well, then you, and, and we're touching on one, another key element here. You find other companies like Lego who are running into trouble, but instead of ignoring it, you know, they try to understand it. And there's an element of humility in every company that's able to turn themselves around. Mm-hmm. And humility is one of those things that is so hard for us to do as just people. And it's also so hard for us to do as business leaders because we're not supposed to fail. Failure is considered this, you know, the worst thing possible is to fail. When really, failure is part of learning. Learning is essential. Ongoing learning is essential for businesses today. You can't just learn one thing and do it well. You've got to keep learning and evolving. So humility has always been this sort of secret sauce to a lot of the turnarounds and a lot of the the companies are able to remain relevant where arrogance is this Achilles heel that just tears down the biggest, the best companies in the world. All right. So, Jonathan, as we round up, I always ask, what would be your billion-dollar advice on branding and especially surviving in the wilderness and desert? Um, my billion-dollar advice? Yeah. Um, well, first, I'll give you some investment advice. Um, I'm not a professor, professional, so don't listen to me. But first, uh, you want to short sell Apple because they're way too big. They're running on fumes, and they're they're about to 
uh, face some real headwinds. That's my prediction. Second, if you look at the history of Lego and Marvel, um, I'll give you some more advice. If you look at the history of Lego and Marvel, both of them went through a hardship around the same time. Both of them became wildly successful around the same time. Both of them are about to enter another downturn. Both of them are about to cycle back through a downturn. My prediction is that Lego weathers it and understands how to, to become relevant again and, and continue to stay relevant, while Marvel becomes irrelevant and has some really hard times. So that's my billion-dollar advice. Right, right on. So how can people consult or contact Jonathan for consulting and speaking and other things that you do? Where can they find you? Definitely. Well, you can find my new book, Brand vs. Wild, um, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere books are sold. Um, that just came out about a month ago. You can find me, more about my company, more about uh, my experience and my speaking at jonathandavidlewis.com, as well as links to all of my social platforms. Great. So listeners, get a copy of Brand vs. Wild, Building Resilient Brands for Harsh Business Environments.